Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. I am so glad you're here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here at City Church, and it's an honor to have you gathering with us today as we start a brand new series, eight weeks called Starting Point. You guys excited? I am so pumped. It's going to be so helpful. Let me give you like just a little bit of, of a, kind of where we're going. So if you've been following Jesus for a minute or, or, or you're a new follower of Jesus, this series is going to be incredibly encouraging. It's going to be equipping both for your personal faith. It's going to speak to motive and not just what's happening with your hands, not just the external side of faith, but like what's going on on the inside. It's going to speak to our understanding. But here's what I'm really excited about. It's also going to equip and empower you when it comes to living out your faith in the world around you, where you live, work, and play. It's going to equip you to be able to follow Jesus and share Jesus in a way that's super helpful. Now, equally excited about this part. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're skeptical of faith, you've been to church, around church, and like, you know, maybe you were burned by the church, or you're like just not sure about all the things concerning church and Jesus and faith, this series is built for you. It's going to be encouraging. It's going to be challenging. It's going to answer a lot of the hard questions that maybe you weren't allowed to ask, and I'm really excited to dig into it. And so everything has a starting point, right? Even you had a starting point. Some of you on purpose, and some of you less on purpose, but we're still glad you made it, right? Like everything has a starting point. Romance has a starting point. Your career has a starting point. Some of you, you've had multiple starting points. Some of you are wishing for a new starting point in your career. Parenting has a starting point. Marriage has a starting point, and even faith has a starting point. And I just want you to reflect your personal story right now today as we gather. What about your story? What about your faith? Like, where do you land? So, you know, you, you probably got, you know, your own journey going on, and everybody has different experiences growing up. Uh, some of you, you know, growing up in childhood is normally when we get exposed to, to ideas of faith, ideas about God, whether you grew up in a, you know, religious home or not. And I'm just talking about, like, faith in general, right? It's around childhood that you start to get exposed to ideas about God. And so probably around childhood, sometime in your younger years, you were handed um, th- this, this paradigm of faith, this, this faith framework, if you will. Okay, and, and, and some of you, it looked different for different people, right? Like, so you might maybe were handed, like, this faith framework of, hey, believe these things, and you just kind of assumed it. Or some of you, you didn't have anybody to tell you what to believe or why to believe it or anyone to ask questions to. And so just kind of along the way, you started to put your own faith framework together, whether, whether it meant that you landed in the agnostic realm or you're just totally atheist or you're like, you know, there's maybe something out there, but I'm not sure what it is. And, you know, we have these different abilities. So I want to talk to you about a faith framework for a second. What was it for you when it came to your faith framework. So some of you were given ideas in your, your early on faith framework, like, like God is good. It's with me? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. It doesn't even rhyme. It just bothers me, right? We don't say that prayer at our house, even though we're thankful for our food. But right, some of you were given just the, hey, God is good. Just in general, don't ask questions. God is good. That's who he is. And then in addition, you know, you're given paradigms like, like God punishes evil and rewards good. 
And, and so, like, this sometimes, unfortunately, especially if you, like, grew up around the church or in the church, good-meaning, well, well-meaning people, this idea of God punishes evil and re- rewards good kind of came across to you as, like, you better be good, right? You guys any, like, behavior dysfunction in the room? You're like, the, the motive starts to get off. There's, like, shame and guilt, and, you know, some of you, like, you're kind of scared by faith. Or some of you have friends who were just scared by faith in their childhood. It was just like this, you better be good or else, because God punishes evil and rewards good. So literally, some of you, you had the hell scared out of you as, as a child, right? Like, and it's like, man, I don't know if that motive was working for me. And then, you know, others of us, we were told that, like, God answers prayers. And again, these are not bad things for, for what it's worth, right? These are not bad things in and of themselves. But you were told God answers prayers, and then maybe even that God speaks, which might have been, like, kind of spooky at times as a little kid, right? Um, and so, so you have these different things that you're given as a child, and then something happens, and again, even if you didn't grow up in faith or around the faith, you might have been like exposed to different ideas that these are at least ideas for other people. And so you maybe have stayed away, rejected, or not embraced it at all because you're evaluating it from the outside saying, I don't, I don't know. And so something happens along the way when your childhood faith begins to struggle under the pressure of adult life. You guys with me? Anybody feel the pressure of just being an adult? Adulting is hard. It's, it's genuinely hard. And then we surround ourselves in, in circumstances where not everybody shares the same framework. And so all of a sudden the framework gets, gets disoriented because what, what happens? You grew up hearing or you've heard other people say, well, God is good. You're like, yeah, but, but like, what about all the bad? Like if, if God is good and a lot of this bad stuff is happening, then where's his goodness in that, right? You start asking questions and you're just told to have faith in faith and believe and don't ask those questions, right? Or you're like, oh, well, like, okay, God punishes evil and rewards good. But you know what's weird about that? I feel like a lot of evil goes rewarded, doesn't it? Like a lot of people get away with a lot of stuff. And in fact, actually, what really makes me angry is I do a lot. Like I bend over backwards to be good. And I got the short end of the stick more times than not. You guys with me on that? You're like, okay, explain that one, God. Where are you, right? And again, it's like, hey, just don't ask questions. Just have faith in faith. Believe a little harder. And then God answers prayer. This one gets people, right? God loves to answer prayer, does he? You know, it's funny because I've prayed for some things. And it didn't happen. I know incredible people who love Jesus and have incredible faith. And they prayed for family members to be healed of COVID and lost them anyway. And so then you say, okay, what happens when our our childhood faith can't answer our grown-up questions? What do we do with that? Let me me help you just understand from Karen Armstrong. She wrote uh, uh, this book called The Case for God. She says, just to kind of help us sum up this conversation, many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. You see, we learned about God at about the same time as we were told about Santa Claus. And she goes on. And she says that, but while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology has remained somewhat infantile. And then rightfully so, the conclusion is this. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, welcome to Boulder, Colorado, one of the most educated cities on the planet. When we attain intellectual maturity, many of us reject the God that we had inherited. Don't miss that word. We had inherited, and as a result, we denied that he even 
existed. Anybody? Does this resonate with anybody? Here, here's the deal. Now, before you like walk out of the church or like send me a dirty email or anything, okay, my, my point today is not to dis- discourage faith. We're going to get there, okay? It's really, really helpful. But there's this entire evangelical tradition that tiptoes around the hard questions and doesn't give space to reconcile our grown-up questions with childhood faith. And again, it's not because it's wrong. It's not because it wasn't helpful in the moment. It's just that we weren't equipped in the transition. Does that make sense? And so today what I want to do is help us just address that gap. And again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you probably watch some of these gaps as well. And maybe that's why you never walked into it in the first place is because you were exposed to the gaps up front. You say, yeah, that doesn't make sense. I don't know that I can cross that line. And so let's, let's talk about the gaps for a second. Um, sometimes I think as adults, we, we need a new starting point when it comes to conversations around faith. Even if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, let, let me just ask you the question, what would it look like for you and me to hit the restart button on our faith? Like, 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 just pretend for a minute that you didn't know anything, right? No exposure as a child, no growing up, no bad experiences. No, like, just, let's just pretend today you didn't know anything. Where would you start? Right? If we were just going to restart, where would you start? Like, like, if you had never read the Bible, never been to church, never been around someone who's a follower of Jesus, like, where would you start if you were restarting? And when it comes to conversations around faith, specifically the Christian faith, um, th- this gets a little challenging, and I'll, I'll get to it in a second. So o- over the next eight weeks, we're, we're dealing with, like, this, this start over. So I'm just inviting you. If you'll, if you'll come with me on this journey, I promise it's going to be helpful and encouraging, and it's going to be challenging, and it's going to be good for us and good for others and good for the world around us. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to be on this journey of what does it look like to restart. Now, l- let, me, let me address, like, the elephant in the room, because a lot of times when we talk about restarting, people want to pull out the Bible as the new starting place, and a lot of people like this language. You might have heard this before. The Bible says, right? Like, hey, we're going to restart. Well, what do we start? Let's go to the Bible. The Bible says, and, and, and you and I, especially if you grew up in and around church and faith and things like that, especially the Christian faith specifically, um, you were told things like, like the Word of God, the Bible is the Word of God, the living, active Word of God, which, for what it's worth, I believe. You, you were told things like, like the Bible's in, inerrant, without error, it's inspired, supernaturally, which are, are big things and hard things, which, which I believe. But you're given these like, like huge paradigms on the front end, and unfortunately, here's what happens. You're just given like the, the big trust the Bible word, and so then you give the language, all the Bible says, as if that carries authority. But if, if, you, if you had a new starting point, or you're talking to someone who's not a Christian, the Bible says doesn't go very far, does it? Because it's an authority for you that not, that's not necessarily respected in other circles, right? And so because the Bible has been presented to many Christians as a book, which it's not, in case you're wondering, because the Bible has, has been pre- presented as like this one whole thing, which, which it's not, because we're exposed to ideas about the Bible in this, in this um, you know, we, we don't have a source, we don't have the ability to back it up, what happens is it becomes a house of cards. And so when you lead out of your faith with the Bible says, and then someone comes along with something that, that's maybe inconsistent, or what about this in the, the Bible, right? All of a sudden, you know, you remove one little card and the whole thing comes tumbling down, right? And it's because the Bible says, don't miss this, the Bible says was never intended to be the starting point for the Christian faith. Now listen, I believe the Bible is the word of God, I totally do. But the Bible says was never intended to be the starting point for the Christian faith, partly 
Because roughly 350 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, there was no Bible to start things, okay? I mean, you've got to wrap your mind around the reality that there's people with incredible faith, and there's hundreds of thousands of people becoming Christians, and the church is on fire and blowing up all over the Mediterranean. There's people with incredible faith who are giving their lives for Jesus, and every time they're gathered, there's no Bible to open up. So if that wasn't their starting point, should it be ours? That's the question I'm proposing. Now, now, here's what happens. is because you go to college, you go to different spaces where the intellectual realm elevates, and the Bible begins to be treated like something sacred, but not scientific. There's a dis- disconnect, right? The Bible can be maybe appreciated, but, but it's told that you're told that it's not factual. You know, the Bible can be inspirational, but it's not necessarily true. You guys with me? You might find yourself in circles that say things like that. And some of you come from backgrounds. This is a big disconnect personally. You come from backgrounds where, like, the Bible was revered, but it wasn't read. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there's a Bible in the house. No one touches it. It's got a lot of dust on it, but the Bible, right? You know, you, you hear people talk uh, about the Bible, or, or, and, and you just wouldn't understand it if you grew up in and around it. You're like, I don't understand how this applies to my life at all. And, and then you and I get into environments, quite frankly, if you go to CU or, you know, just your circles of influence in and around Boulder, you get in environments where the Bible's not respected. And all of a sudden, our, 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 our childhood faith is like getting chipped away. And it, and it makes sense as you look at it. And so, again, if, if we're going to restart, we can't start with the Bible, so let me tell you why, right? Be, because this is not the starting point for the OG Christians, okay? And so for you, man, some of you, you're, you're skeptical, and I get it, and I want you to know, man, you're gonna, we're going to be met right where you are, and we're going to walk through this together. And some of you, I believe that you're on this faith journey, and you're just hoping for something to believe in. You're just like hoping some of this can be true, and I have good news for you that it's way, way better than you ever thought. And so this, this idea, this New Testament that we have today is a collection of letters, many times referred to as the Bible, okay? But I need you to hear me. When we talk about like the Bible says, I need you to understand the New Testament was written roughly 350 years after the resurrection. And so, again, there's no Bible to say on the front end. And, and you know, there was this Old Testament thing that they had going on, and that was helpful, but there wasn't the Bible says. And so you got to ask the question, where did the early Christians start? Where did Jesus tell them to start? Again, not because there's, the Bible says is a bad starting point, for what it's worth, right? Like we're not, this is not a knock on the Bible. This is a knock on the approach. So let's look at a conversation today. What I want to do is help you look at some original starting points. Is that, is that helpful? Like let's look at where did they start? Let's look at that. There's a guy named Paul. And he's hanging out with a group of non-Christians. Let me give you like, just an uh, idea about Paul. Okay? Paul was um, an early Christian leader. He wrote about a third of what we know now as the New Testament, multiple letters. Right? He wrote about a third of it. Um, but originally, he was known as this guy named Saul. Okay? So Paul, originally Saul, is incredibly against <laughs> the early church. He's doing everything he can to stop the early church, to shut it down. He's killing Christians. He's throwing them in prison. His entire life work is to stop the Jesus movement. And then one day, Saul becomes a Christian. He has a starting point. And you got to ask the question, well, what, what, what was it for him? Well, I can tell you this, it wasn't because he read the Bible. <laughs> because there was no Bible to read. And so what's amazing about Saul's story, as he becomes a Christian, he goes from shutting down the church to, be, to following Jesus and promoting the church and becoming one of the most influential early Christian leaders on the planet is his starting point was that he knew some people who were there when Jesus was murdered, buried, 
and resurrected. That he came to know Jesus when he appeared to him. It was an amazing, amazing story. And so for Paul, I want you to hear as we get into this letter, again, it is out of the Bible, okay? But it's out of the book of Acts, which I need you to understand, like, like don't think of Acts, like, don't, don't, don't hear we're reading the Bible today. Acts is like a travel journal, okay? This is a guy named Luke. He's rolling around with this whole crew of people. God is doing amazing things all over the Mediterranean, and Luke has this travel journal going on. He's there writing everything down. And so we're looking into just a picture, some records from this travel journal, and he gives us an insight into Paul's conversation. He's in the city, he's in Athens, okay, and, and it's an incredibly religious, massive city, tons of influence, tons of idols, tons of different gods. I mean, they, they, they are just loving all the information, it's all the options, and he gets there and he's around a ton of people who have never even heard the name Jesus. And we're going to see where Paul starts in this conversation. You guys with me on this? Okay, so Athens, Greece is where we're rocking. We're going to lean in and listen to this dialogue. Acts 17, check it out, it'll be on the screen here. So Paul is in Athens and he's waiting uh, for, for his other companions to catch up. Again, Luke is just writing all this down in his little travel journal. And he was deeply troubled, that was Paul, by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Okay, so I don't know if you've been to third world countries where you've seen like actual little altars and idols. I mean, we, we were in Guatemala and I can remember like literal little, you know, like shack huts and things like that where there's actual idols set up with a little, you know, figure representing a deity and they, you know, make sacrifices and they put money in there and gold and silver and food and drink and, you know, maybe like a, a little, uh, um, you know, snack here and there, right? Like there's things that are going on, you know, and, and he gets there and there's all of these idols in the city of Athens and he's troubled. And so he goes to the synagogue to reason with Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily also in the public square to all who happened to be there. So Paul's just hanging out in the city. He's not just hanging out around like, like the Jewish people, or the, like, you know, uh, his kind of background, but he's also just engaged in the public square. So it'd be like you go into church and hanging out, and then also going down to Pearl Street, <laughs> okay? Like he's just hanging out in the city, talking to everyone. It's a very religious, you know, space, tons of faith dialogue happens here, so it's not inappropriate by any means, and he's just having as much faith dialogue as he possibly can. Now, watch what happens after this in verse 18. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and Epicurean, you know, they're the people that like, they're like, oh man, we just can't know, you know, who cares anyway, let's just go have another glass of wine, right? Like, let's just, we'll get there, right? Like, Epicureans are like, no one can know, so let's just take it easy, and the Stoics are on the opposite end. They're like, hey, give us enough time, we'll figure it all out. Right, like, just give me some time and I got it. So he sits down with these different philosophers and when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, again, this is the starting point, right? They said, what's this babbler? <laughs> how do you like, man, how, you, how would you feel in that moment, right? That's why many of you are like, dude, I just don't talk about Jesus because <laughs> that's absolutely the vibe in Boulder, right? <laughs> what is this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he picked up? That's encouraging. I would, I would be uh, uh, discouraged. Others, others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods, which, by the way, was a really big deal in Athens. So to be in Athens, showing up with a new god, you had to have permission. I mean, it was a whole ordeal. You don't just show up and talk about it. I mean, you could go to jail for this. And so he shows up, and he's talking. Now watch what happens in verse 19. Then they took him to the high council of the city. So this is a moment. This is interesting. Paul really puts himself out there. They take him to this big space that look, look, looks over Athens. You, should, you can go there today in this spot. looks over the entire city, massive spot. This is where they would bring all of the leaders together and make really, really big decisions. So they bring him to the high council of the city, and they say, come and tell us about this new teaching. Again, they, they're hungry for it. They love the idea of, an, of a new idea. And so you're saying some rather strange things, 
and we, we want to know what it's all about, which is kind of cool. Paul gets like an open door to share about Jesus. Now watch this. This is awesome. Verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you're very religious in every way. For I was walking along, and I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. It's like covering all your bases, right? Like, <laughs> so that, that's the just-in-case part. Like, we have all these gods, but we don't know, necessarily. And so we're just going to make a generic to an unknown God. That way, if that God shows up, and we didn't know it was him, you're like, oh, hey, we were expecting you. We just didn't know what to call you. Right <laughs> here, this one's for you. To an unknown God. This God, Paul says, whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. This is amazing. Paul meets them where they are. They've never heard about Jesus. And he says, I noticed that you have this unknown. And, and it really, what's amazing is he speaks to the uncertainty in religion. You guys with me on that, right? Like, there's a lot of uncertainty around the idea of religion. And so Paul leverages what they already don't know. So, so for example, some people, because they don't know, because they, you know, like, oh, well, you just can't know. You have people who, like, sometimes just go to church on Christmas and Easter. You know what I'm talking about? You know what that is? That's like just in case faith. <laughs> Like, I don't know, but just in case, we're going to, you know, we're going to dip in every now and then. And he's leveraging the idea of uncertainty, that they, they can't know for sure. And, and they're just going to embrace that because it's right there on, on, on an altar, right? They're like, okay, you got us. Like, you know, we don't really know. But, and he's like, I'm about to take the un off of known. Right? You, you have this altar to the unknown. I'm about to take the un off of known because there is a God that you can know. He goes on, and he says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in, in a man-made temple, which they have a lot of those, right? Paul saying, he's way too big for that, this God that I know. And human hands, they can't serve his needs, like many of them do, gold, silver, food, you know, snacks, little, you know, uh, I was thinking, like, what would the bolder version of, like, an altar be? Like, maybe a yerba mate and, like, some bobos, you know, in there? For the idols? I don't know. I was just thinking. And, and right, he's like, you, you can't serve this. He has no needs. This God doesn't need anything from you. Check this out. And, he, and then he, he does an amazing flip. He says, he himself is actually the giver of life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. Paul says, guys, I know the God above all your other gods. The God that I know is way too big to fit into any of your shrines or your little temples. He's way, he doesn't even need anything from you. In fact, he just gives. Oh, and right, you've got to understand, and this would be a moment. You're like, what? Because they've only known the opposite. And what, what, what Paul is saying here is, is right, you, you might find a fantastic painting in the world, yes? You can go look and admire art. You can find a fantastic painting but you won't see the painter in the painting. You with me? Right, you can, you can find an incredible sculpture, but you won't find the sculptor in the sculpture. What Paul is saying is everything that you see, it's magnificent, it's amazing, and you can get glimpses of God through that, but that's not where God is. He's way too big to fit into any of that. And, and I think Paul gets at something. He's like, man, you're always trying to do stuff for God. And some of you have been growing up around religion, you think that following Jesus is about doing stuff for God, which is exactly what they were doing. Do these things, receive favor. He's like, you can't do anything for him. He doesn't need anything from you. He's actually a giver. And he goes on, check this out. He says, for, 
from, from one man, he created all the nations. So this is massive because in Athens, right, there's very regional, like, like religion here. And so, like, this God's the God of this territory, and this God's the God of this territory, and sometimes we've come, you know, two armies clash, and we see which God wins. He's like, this is the God over all nations. He doesn't fit into any one category, any one geography. He's not just for one people. He's the God above everything. He says, he's the, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth, and he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. He's saying he's sovereign. He's so much bigger than anything you can imagine. His purpose, check this out, was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and to find him. That word feel in, in the Greek it can be translated like groping around in the darkness. You ever been there? Like lights are all off in the, in the house and you're just trying to walk through without like just absolutely decimating yourself up against something, right? I walk through my garage all the time and I have to like, <laughs> right? And he's like, man, some of you, right? You're just like groping around. You don't know if you can really know if there really is a God, if there is one, if you can have a relationship, you're just like groping around in the darkness. And here's what's amazing. He says his purpose is so that you can find him. I love this. Though he is not far from any one of us, he might be really, really big. But he's also really, really close. And he goes on. He says, for in him... We live and move and exist. And here's what's amazing. He even quotes their own poets. As some of your own poets have said, he's just driving home the reality that they don't know. And they just have to admit that they are guessing at best. Some of your own po poets have said, we are his offspring. Just guessing in the dark. And since this is true, Paul says, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone, which is the world they live in. Now check this out. In verse 30, he says, God overlooked people's ignorance in the past about these things in earlier times, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent and to turn to him. It's like an offensive statement, right? You have to understand, like, in the Greek, the word ignorance is not, it's not saying you're stupid. You, do, you guys just don't know. You think you're so smart, but you're just so, you're totally dumb. That's not it at all. He's just acknowledging this word would not have been offensive. It would have said, hey, there's gaps. That you're seekers and you're seeking, but you don't know. And I'm here to tell you that you can know. And this word, repent, I love this. He doesn't say repent of sin, which is sometimes what you hear in Scripture. Like, like repent of sin. Okay, we're going to get there. But here, he doesn't even say that. Because this word is not, like, meant to carry heavy guilt and shame. It literally means to change the way that you think. And so Paul is inviting this council, these, these leaders in Athens, to change the way that they think about the God that can be known. And, and what, he, what he's about to argue for is proof. Check this out. He goes on. He says, because he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man. He's talking about Jesus. The man he has appointed. And he proved, he's talking about proof now, to everyone who this is by what? Raising him from the dead. He proved it because the Bible says. He proved it because your mama said. He proved it because your grandma was a good lady but made you go to church and, and made you feel bad if you didn't. He proved it. What? what? Paul has no external argument except for one historical moment of Jesus raising from the dead. And, and this proof, guys, I need you to understand that, that proof, what, what Paul is arguing, is it moves from an I hope so kind of an idea to I know so. It's religion versus confidence, and he's pointing to the resurrection. Now, 
check this out. Because this is the moment, right, where some of you are like, but watch what happens next. When they heard Paul speak, they all fell to their knees, repented, and then went throughout the city destroying all of their idols. Isn't that amazing? That didn't happen. I just lied to you. I totally wrote that myself. But you wouldn't know because you don't read the Bible, right? That's a joke. It's a joke, guys. That's funny. All right, all right, watch this. Here's what really happened. Th th that's what would happen if it was a Bible story, right? If this was make-believe and you're trying to make it believable and this is some Bible story for fairy tales, you write up the end to make it look really good, don't you? Watch what happens. This is just Luke's journal. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. There we go. <laughs> that's the response we expected, right? But others said, we want to hear more about this later. Amazing moment, right? This is a Bible story. If you're making all this up, then you, then you don't include stuff like that, right? You write, you write it up the other way. And Athens is transformed. But they laughed at him. Because this is really what happened in the life of Paul as he points us to a bigger picture. And, and, and here's the problem, is in this moment, we get to the resurrection, and they're like, dude, if that's the starting point, like, it sounded good up until you got there, but if, if, if a resurrection from the dead is the starting point, then, man, we're not starting. Because dead people do what they're supposed to do. They stay dead, right? Like, that, that's, the, that's the gap here. And so this is a huge, huge thing to get over. But Paul would respond to them and say, yeah, I didn't believe it either. In fact, I did everything I could to stop it. I was totally in denial, but then I met Jesus, and he changed everything. And I came to understand that God does love us. God is near. He is bigger. He does know us, and he can be known. And so, and so I, I need you to reflect on your starting point, right? This is where Paul starts. He goes back to the resurrection, the historical moment in time where Jesus raises from the dead, right? It's not the Bible, even though the Bible's great. It's not just believe, even though that's encouraging. It's a question. The starting point for you and I is a question, and this is where I want to leave you today. And the question is, is not, you know, did Adam and Eve really have belly buttons or not, you know? Like, that's a good question, right? Like, there's some things that you look at and you're like, okay, what are we going to wrestle with? Like, there's some great ones that you can ask, but that's not the question that we need to start with. Right? That's not the starting point of faith. It's, it's not, you know, did they really fit all those animals on an ark and, and, and God flooded the world? Fascinating, you can talk about that all day long. That's not the starting point that we're talking about. It's not, you know, was it a, was it a literal seven-day creation or, 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 you know, did it happen over millions of years? Like, it's great, you can talk about that all day long. But that's not the starting point for Paul, and it's not our starting point. Our starting point is a question, and that question is very simply, who is Jesus? You and I figure this question out, and while it doesn't resolve every other hard conversation you and I have, it's amazing how many things start to work themselves out as we wrestle this question to the ground. And so I need you to reflect for just a second on your own story. Because when, when you and I wrestle with this question, regardless of our unanswered prayers, regardless of, you know, the bad stuff happening in and around our lives, regardless of the what-ifs and the, the what-abouts and the struggles and the doubts, when we wrestle this to the ground, it changes everything. So for you in the room right now, who is Jesus? Because Paul would argue that he was who he said he was, that he did what he said he could do. 
that he really was the God-man, he really lived a perfect life, he really did die on a cross, was murdered wrongfully, was buried, everyone lost faith, everyone lost hope, and three days later he rose from the grave. And I didn't believe it either. There's hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses. And because Paul knew a guy, (laughs) who knew a guy, who was there, This is not like some far off distant story. This is actual experience. Guys, having breakfast with Jesus on the beach after he's resurrected, putting their arms around his neck, seeing the holes in his hands. You're like, man, that's so hard to get over. I get it. But that's the starting point. Don't let anything else get in the way. So here's the good news. This is just like a a taste, okay? This series is called Starting Point. So today we're just getting started. Right? So I'm going to encourage you to stick it out, to ask big questions, to start to wrestle with it. I got, I got a few like pieces of homework for you, okay? Some action and reflection things. How and when did your faith journey begin? I want you to just reflect on that for a minute. Where did it come from? Have you given it much thought? Or has it started at all, <laughs> right? Or, or what kept you from ever starting one? How and when did your faith journey begin? And, and then secondly, how has it held up under the pressures of life? grown-up life that you live. And lastly, I want you to reflect, where are you on your faith journeys today? And where do you want to be? Where do you want to be? Listen, our heartbeat here is that you can know Jesus because Jesus knows you. That you can love Jesus because Jesus loves you. That you can follow Jesus. That he has invited you into a relationship with God that is made only available through his incredible love for us. We want to help you take those steps. We realize, like, man, you could be anywhere on your spiritual journey, and so I want you to know we're committed to helping you take a next step, no matter where you are on your faith journey. And so here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to pray for us for a moment, and then we're going to continue to sing together. And we're going to use the next two songs as a moment of reflection. We're going to use the rest of this service as a moment of reflection. And I need you to know, as we meet in city groups throughout the week, this next week, if you've not plugged into one, this is the content that we're going to be wrestling with. These are the conversations that we're having. Real people, real journeys, real transparent, saying, hey, here's where I am. Here's what I've been exposed. Here's my gaps. Here's where I am. Here's where I want to be. And so if you're not in community, you're not in a group, I want to encourage you. And that's where we take what's happening here and we move it into real-time application and support and encouragement and community. That I believe God wants to meet every single one of us where we are. So let me pray for you. You bow your heads with me and just close your eyes for just a moment and reflect right now on your own story, on your own journey. Just right now as you reflect, I want you to think about it. Is, are, are there any gaps for you? What's discouraging you right now? What's frustrating you right now? What are the factors that have led to your current space on your spiritual journey? Who has been involved? What has been involved? What pain? What confusion? What frustration? What's really, really good right now? What's less than good right now? as you sit there and reflect, I want you to reflect on the question, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? Is he a good teacher? Is he the God man? Is he God? Is he Lord? 
portas e lavas. And based on how you answer that question, what will be your next step this week? If Jesus is Lord, are you spending time with him? Are you cultivating that relationship? Jesus brought you into God's family? Are you cultivating those relationships? Are you involved in plugging into God's family? If you're not sure, what are you doing to wrestle that to the ground? Are you going to live in I hope so faith, or are you going to dig in a little more and ask the hard questions for yourself? Jesus, right now, I pray that your love is made known to us, that you really did live, you really did die, really did rise again, and that's not debated. It's historical fact that those things, those claims are true. But for each of us in the room, it's up to us what we do with it. So would you move us past an I hope so faith to something more concrete that we really can know you and trust you and follow you? For any of my friends in the room who have never taken a step to trust in you, they've never moved in your direction and wrestled this Jesus question to the ground, will they have confidence today that by trusting you, that that word faith that we use often, it just means to trust in you, that you are who you said you are, that you can do in our lives what you said you would do to save us and set us free, to make us right with God. If there's any of my friends in the room who have never taken that step to trust in you, God, today, would you meet them in this space? Holy Spirit, would you encourage them and draw them to you? And would they, would they make the decision today to trust in you? God, for many of us, we live in spaces where we live, work, and play that, that are, that are um, a gift to be in, but at the same time, man, we're surrounded by people who don't yet know your love, and I pray right now that you would give us confidence to love and serve well in those spaces, to demonstrate our faith in practical ways like we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks. Jesus, we give you this day, we give you this time. We ask that you meet with us in this next couple of minutes as we sing and reflect and worship in Jesus' name.